Hello, Next Geners, and welcome to our special edition of the Next Gen of Racing show, ahead of Saturday's fifth running of the world's richest race, the Everest. I'm Damien Ratcliffe, the Chief, Chief Racing Writer at The Age, and I'm joined on every show by our data guru, Aidan Byrne from Daily Sectionals. Today, we chat with the man behind the Everest, the Chief Executive of Racing New South Wales, Peter Volandis, as well as prominent owner, Neil Werrett, who along with Max Whitby and a couple of others, owns one of the 12 prized Everest slots, which this year will be represented by his sprinter, Mars Crusader. Uh, Peter, Neil, welcome to the Next Gen of Racing Show. Thanks, fellas. Peter, five years in, has it exceeded expectations? What have you made of uh, the great race? We see the trophy behind you there. Uh, that's, that's the jockey's version of it. The, the actually owners is much bigger than that and substantially more diamonds, so... Uh, there's 6,000 diamonds on the real one. They, they wouldn't trust me with it, fellas, unfortunately. Look, it has exceeded expectations. I always knew it was going to be successful because um, of, the, of the concept. You know, having slot owners is always going to have controversy. But we wanted a race for, for this generation, um, for, for the under 30s, because one thing we've learned is kids these days don't want to do what their parents uh, have done in the past. They want to have their own identity and... The Everest has really, really um, filled that gap because most of our audience is under 30. I mean, we sold 22,000 tickets, which is quite unusual to sell tickets to a race meeting. Uh, people normally buy them at the gate, except for big events like the Melbourne Cup, of course. But um, And of that 22,000, 80% was under the age of 30. And this week, you know, normally you get inundated with, with people wanting to get tickets. It's all, it's been tickets for, for, the parents have been calling for their kids, the 19 and 18 year olds. So that's what's made me happy more than anything else because I think racing over many years has lost generations. It's lost um, a new demographic and we, we've got to correct that, that mistake. I know personally speaking, two years in a row, my best mate would have loved to have had his Bucks party up in Sydney at the Everest. Unfortunately, COVID has prevented us from doing that. But you feel like you'll be able to run just as big a race that the media hype hasn't hasn't slowed down just because of COVID. No, it hasn't. And look, the majority of our revenue comes from wagering. So as long as people wager on the event, and, and it's being wagered throughout Australia, and, and that's the beauty for me is that it's been, uh, you know, received everywhere in every state, even Victoria, which is, you know, in Victoria, one thing they always have over New South Wales, which I always admire, um, is how parochial the Victorians are to their local industry and to their local events and to, the, to their local product. Where in New South Wales, we just we do anything and everywhere. Uh, we're, we're, you even see it in the wagering numbers that they bet on their own local meetings more than anywhere else. And in every other state, it's different. You know, some states bet more on New South Wales, more on Victoria, but not on their local industry, but the Victorians do. So um, that's been pleasing as well. I know Hayden wanted to ask you about wagering. Yeah, I did. Um, Mr. Volandis, in recent years, we've seen the Everest meeting correspond with the major Caulfield meeting, um, and both meetings have flourished from a wagering and turnover point of view. Uh, was it always your take that the Everest uh, running on a ma major Melbourne day would benefit both states, or was it a target for um, to enhance a Sydney turnover? No, I, I was always very confident that both states would, would benefit, because it puts the spotlight on racing as a sport, and if you work together and, and you, you know, uh, cooperate, that day turns out exactly that. And that's what's happened with the Melbourne Racing Club. They, they have been, you know, extremely cooperative, good to deal with, good to work with, and they've reaped the benefits because it's given a bigger spotlight on the event. 
And the one good thing that will come out of it for everyone in the racing industry is that younger generation. If they're looking at the Everest, these under 30s, and they're looking at the Caulfield Cup, which is a long traditional race, um, that's good for the sport. And it's good for, so these people that we're attracting for the Everest are going to be future customers for all racing, racing clubs. Neil, five years ago, Peter put out a call out for, you know, slot holders to, to invest in the race for three years. How quickly did, did it grab your attention? Yeah, I think we were one of the, the first ones, uh, Peter, to come in. Uh, there was a few maybe ahead of us, but uh, we were Max uh, and we were looking, Max came to us, so he was looking at putting a group together and we were looking at putting a group together. And um, so with Colin and Steve, uh, we joined up with Max and it's been great. It's been good fun. Uh, we haven't won it yet, but we come very close. Uh, I mean, the whole thing was hopefully one day to have a horse that we owned and ran in it. So this year was is kind of nearly there. Uh, Steve and Colin and myself own part of Mars Crusader, who is one of our our horse. Uh, unfortunately, Max is not in that, so he's always giving me a hard time. We left him out. But uh, you know, to, to actually own your last year, I had Colin and I had part ownership in Tofane, who ran in another slot. So we had two going. So um, it's, uh, but it's, it's actually very good fun this year. If the rain will stop, I'll be uh, a lot happier. I think the only thing that the only thing that Neil was swearing and cursing me was why didn't I do it three years earlier when there was a <laughs> yeah. horse called Black Caviar? But uh, other than that, no, he was one of the first, and um, all good businessmen actually saw the benefit and the potential in in the concept and. Um, and they've done very well. The ones that have been loyal and you know, spent the $600,000 up front uh, in the first one can now sell it for easily you know, 850 to 900000 I think that's the greatest return you could possibly get in any investment. Yeah, I think that's right, Peter. I mean, we, we, we went in a, a little bit um, uh, not quite sure how it was going to evolve. And I think the, the thing that got us over the, over the line was we had it for three years. Uh, which was a positive for you and a positive for the slot owners. And knowing that we had three years to plan, I mean, as you say all the time, we, we start thinking about next year's Everest already. And uh, we're always planning ahead and trying to and looking at what other alternatives. I mean, we're hoping we've got Mars Crusader again next year, but uh, there might be something else come along. And uh, uh, I wish we did have uh, the black mare. She would have, would have been uh, would have been good for us, but probably not as good for the uh, for the betting because she probably would have dominated. <laughs> I was I was thrilled today that in that uh, Telegraph that she won the horse. Uh, they had that uh, race of all the sprinters for the Everest, so that was good. She would have been odds on in that one too, I'd say, Neil, somehow. Well, they, they actually give him $4.50 and I couldn't get on. <laughs> I, would have, I would have got on too. But you, you might be defending your crown next year with Mars Crusader. I, I think it's one of the real big chances in the race. Yeah, I, I hope so. The, well, the pace is going to be very strong up front and something like Mars Crusader or Classic Legend um, will be coming home pretty quick at the end, I think. that's the. But look, there's so many good chances in the race this year. It's, it's probably the most open one we've ever had. And there's just some that you just don't know about, like Inferno. I mean, how good he is and a lot of people. And, uh, you know, there's others that are very confident that, uh, that they're going to win the race. So it can only be one winner, so it'll be interesting on the day. Yeah, no, and, you know, Chris has, you know, got his two horses primed for it as well. So it's anyone's race. And uh, 
a lot of people are ringing up wanting to go, that's for sure. All my no, kids I... are desperate to get there on Saturday. <laughs> Well, I think all the 10,000 tickets are already sold, unfortunately. They went very quick this morning. There was a few that was left over, but they uh, yeah. uh, picked up. So that's, uh, that's good. And again, uh, again, under 30s. And this, this is their this chance to get out after being in, you know, as we've called the race, the race that stops the hibernation. So, you know, we've been in lockdown for so long. We've all been hibernating. Um, but this is our chance to get out. Yeah, there'll be a great atmosphere there. Uh, just at the draw yesterday, was so everyone was so happy to get out and talk to each other. You know, some of those people we haven't seen for months. Well, actually, a couple of the guests at the at the lunch said, "Look, we we feel a bit socially awkward. We're just not used to it being out." You know, like we were in lockdown for over three months. That's long. I mean, in, in Victoria, unfortunately, it's been a, a lot longer. Uh, I don't know how you're coping down there. It's been pretty difficult up here. Yeah, yeah, I think. Uh, I'm lucky I'm in Sydney at this stage, so that's good. But the, uh, or like Colin, unfortunately, he can't come up for the event. Um, but, you know, Steve and Max and I'll be there and we'll be cheering on. Uh, just one quick one. I'm not sure if you've seen Jerry Harvey on the socials. I think Tab might have put it out, but a bit of the science in the negotiation of a slot holder and, and how they make it up. And I guess the other interesting thing is how early you go securing the slot. Um, Neil, it's probably easy, as you said, you wanted to uh, race one of your own horses in the slot, but in previous years, ha have you, I guess, discovered the science behind when to go in securing a slot holder and when not and how the negotiations work? We haven't succeeded in winning it, so we haven't got that bit yet. But, uh, but uh, we had to go early with Mars Crusader because Tabcorp put in a, an offer um, after the uh, TJ. So we had to go very quick and, and secure our, our own horse because we thought we were going to miss out on it at one stage. <laughs> so that was that, that kind of forced our hand. What's Jerry doing? Offering fridges and TVs or something, is he? Or... <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think 60 days money back. Oh, is that what it is? It was free. <laughs> you know, he started off as a vacuum cleaner salesman, so he probably gave him a few vacuum cleaners. Yeah, yeah, no, he's got Libertini in the race and very interesting that they're going first up. Um, that would be something special if uh, if a horse was able to win the race first up. As you said, Peter, it looks like one of the, the probably the best field out of the five years and real intrigue with, you know, three-year-old home affairs, um, Nature Strip and Eduardo, as you say, Mass Crusader, um, horses that have just snuck in recently, but Wild Ruler and the Inferno come out of the Moya Stakes it is really a great race this year. No, it is It is good. And look, Libertini's best first up. So I can understand what Anthony Cummings has done. Is he's, you know, and of course, Classique Legends had its problems and it's going to go first up as well. So although he's been very impressive in the trials um, and Les Bridge, he's, you know, a legendary trainer. So he's, what is he? He, he admits to being 80. So he's 80, 80 plus GST, I think. Um, so it'd be nice to see him win it again. Yeah, no, he's, he's a great trainer, isn't he? He's a great trainer. And up here in Sydney, he's a, a tragic uh, South Sydney Rabbitohs um, fan. And uh, unfortunately, they lost the grand final. So this might be the make, make it whole for him. Well, Peter, you have captured our, our generation. We are the, the young guys. I'm, I'm 30 now. So you, you tell me it's a race for under 30s. I feel like I'm nearly getting too old for the Everest. But it's going to be a great <laughs> weekend. I know you're a busy man, so I appreciate your time. All the best this weekend, and thanks again for your time, Neil. Good luck with Mask Crusader in the Everest. I know Hayden's a big fan. Thank you. Yeah, we're looking forward to it. Um, no, thanks. 
and, and thanks, fellas, and thanks for, for doing this show for the younger generation. I think it's a great initiative and I hope it grows for you. Thanks, Peter. Appreciate your time. Feel free to uh, end. Hayden and I will hang around for a bit longer and talk about who we think might win the race. Good on you, boys. Talk Thank to you later. Bye-bye. See you, Neil. Thank you. Bye. Well, Hayden, it is a really interesting field. I know you don't like going too early on your thoughts on the race, mate, but what did you make of the barrier draw yesterday? Um, we spoke about it briefly, but it seems like the way that the barrier draws panned out with Nature Strip out wide and Eduardo on the inside and um, you know, home affairs can go forward with Bossy. It really is going to shape as a, you know, the best horse will win this race, I would have thought. Yeah, I think you're exactly right, mate. The barrier draw was the most fascinating part for me. Um, I, I really like the fact that Nature Strip's drawn outside of Eduardo. Um, it's taken, you know, I don't think Nash would be overly happy about the barrier draw itself, knowing that J-Max to his outside. And that does take the... Um, you know, because there's a lot of urgency from J-Mac if the horse is half a length slow away. Um, we have spoken about how he does change his mind in terms of um, his feet out of the gate and he comes, he looks to jump out onto one leg, changes his mind, comes out onto the other and quickly has to shuffle that around. So if he is half a length slow away, Nature Strip, J-Mac doesn't have that urgency to force him forward. Um, he can give himself two to 300 metres to, to allow the horse to settle in, he'll be happy taking a position outside of Eduardo if that um, occurs. Obviously, James would probably be more comfortable leading because um, that's where the horse has run and won his best races. Um, but I did hear one of the boys this morning um, off uh, racing and sports did a little live coverage this morning from the offices. And I just tuned in to see what those boys had to say about it. I'm thinking uh, Simon... Uh, mentioned that the horse, Nature Strip, he thinks that the best way to ride him would just be to forget about every other horse in the race and just try and ride him. Um, tactically, that's going to be what works. I think the first section speed's going to be fascinating. Horses like Mars Crusader, how far does he get from the lead speed? Um, and can he attack them in the line? Plus, classic legends come through the trials, look brilliant. Um, and the horse who I just really can't get over, I'm fascinated by him's home affair. Um, mm. He looks like the mapper's horse to the race. He's the horse that, um, I don't know your thoughts, but just looking this far out, he's the horse. I find it impossible to see him not being the one that the money comes for on the day. Um, that's what he feels like to me. Uh, it feels like the perfect storm for him. He's going to get the tip from the map. Those who like to play weights are going to look to get involved because he's going to be on the on the three-year-old weight. Um he just looks like the box ticker. He looks like the little excitement machine if you want to look away from the big three or four. What's your thoughts? Well, I want to ask you, is Nature Strip's best chance of winning the race actually to take a sit and not get involved in that um, high early pressure? Because we know the best, the best performances in Nature Strip have been him going about benchmark um, through that first section. And then he unleashes with that mid-race squeeze, which is really his asset and sustaining that. If he does get plus four, plus five through that first section, I think it might be game over for him. Yeah, I'm not worried about the speed itself in terms of a benchmarking perspective, how fast that speed is. He's natural first section speed, as you said, is that benchmark range. But that's when he's allowed to float through the first section. He is capable of back-to-back -back sections, high velocity, which makes it impossible for horses, you know, six lengths off the lead speed or worse 
but his breathing in that first section is more the vital thing rather than the benchmark section itself. So he can be uncomfortable at the benchmark range if he's forced to um, attack within that first 100 metres. You can see he hasn't got in a stride. J-Mac's got no issue but to force the issue. Um, he, he's unsettled. You can, you can see it in his action. His breathing's not right. Um, he's, you know, it's well known publicly that he's had his breathing issues in the past. If he doesn't get that fluency through the first section, he becomes very uncomfortable. He may panic a little bit, the horse, where we see that big, you know, six plus seven stole mid, and then he's out of bullets in the home straight. Um, you know, we're another Everest in. That some of these horses are second Everest, third Everest in. It's high velocity. It's high pressure. It's um, very taxing on these horses. The question I had is, are we all willing to go back to that level again? Or are we just going to set up the big speed ball for a horse like a Home Affairs to thrive on and really show how good he is? Ditto with a Mask Crusader who hasn't been under this level of pressure yet. So, you know, first section speed going to be um, brilliant. What do you make of Classic Legend and Libertini both going into the race first up? Uh, we're actually being joined now by Racing New South Wales and Sky Racing analyst Brad Gray, just connecting to audio there. Hello, Brad. Um, you got us there, mate. Just waiting for Brad to connect there, but I might just ask ask you again, Hayden, your thoughts on Classic Legend and Libertini running first up in the Everest. I don't think a horse has won the Everest first up. No, they haven't. But um, you know, short. It's a uh, only been a short concept, and we've seen plenty of sprinters come through. Um, other big feature races at 1,200 metres win first up. So it's not something that I would be against. When you go back and you have a look at Libertini's profile, I think um, there's been multiple occasions throughout her career that we've looked at her from a first up performance and said, gee, you're a genuine Everest horse. Um, you know, you do have the talent to go to this level. So for her, I think it's a very smart move, them um, going into the race first up. I think in the past they've um, likely been asked to produce a performance to warrant her getting a spot in a race like an Everest and they've basically played their Everest card early. So for her, I think that's fine. The grey horse himself coming back from Hong Kong, I think they've taken their time rather than forcing him to go earlier than what he would have wanted to. Um, his trials have looked better and better and better the longer they've gone on. So, you know, from um, he's an Everest winner and he had his ticket and he's owned by basically the ticket holder. So from them, they've just approached this the way that they think's best. So I've got no issue with either. Yep. I know you will wait until probably the Friday or, or Thursday night to really break down the form, but we're joined by racing New South Wales and sky racing analyst, Brad Gray, who has got stuck into a runner by runner view of the Everest. You can grab that on the uh, racing New South Wales website. Brad, thanks for joining the next gen show. Yeah, no dramas. Thanks for having me, guys. You're right. The last day or two has been pretty crazy in terms of looking through these runners, but I formulated a bit of an opinion and we'll see how we go now. Well, I think what's going to really shape our opinion is what sort of track we're going to get. So you're based in Sydney. Can you tell us what are we looking at for the weekend? Yeah, well, as I look out my window, it's been drizzling all day. Uh, the last time I checked the Randwick forecast, we'd had another eight mils. Uh, so I think we're looking at a soft track at best at the moment. So I think those punters getting into their form uh, early. We 
you've got to find your wet trackers because that's always going to play. Well, Classique Legend's the favourite, and we know he obviously won this race last year, but he's going into this year's edition first up based. I think the punters are basing their uh, views on his trial. So what have you made of him? <laughs> to be honest, I think it's a scenario with him, as let me just to mute this. I've got Warwick Farm going on in the background, you know, priorities here. Um, yeah, I think it's a matter for him that he can win the race, no doubt in the world, but I think the market makes the decision for you, doesn't it? If he's a, a six, $7 pop, all of a sudden, that's factored into the price that he hasn't had the ideal campaign. But at $4, he is very, very skinny. I don't think there's much cream in terms of that unknown. Uh, last year, he won the race here and he won it brilliantly, but he had an, an ideal campaign going into that. Whereas this year, as you referenced, Damien, the fact that he is first up, uh, I know Les Bridge, Bridge isn't as bullish as he was last year and he, and he can't be because you don't know what's going to happen that last couple of hundred metres. Race fitness is a different kettle of fish, especially in a high-pressure race. You can have Eduardo rolling all out in front. You can have Nature Strip rolling out in front. As a reference, this is going to be a wet track. So it's going to be a test of stamina, uh, even though it's a sprint trip over 1,200 metres. So will he have will he have enough petrol in the tank at the 200 metres? I, I don't know. Well, we know Nature Strip loves it wet. And the first two editions of the Everest were won by Red Zell, who was a real wet tracker. I, I think Nature Strip's versatile on both, but I think the wet really is advantage Nature Strip. What your thoughts? I agree. I 100% agree. I think what it does for him is it just brings the field back a peg, not only in terms of taking their sprint away, but also just backing the tempo off a touch. Now, the question being asked by a lot of people is, well, Nature Strip's had two cracks at Tab Everest. If he's the best sprinter we've got, why hasn't he won one yet? We look at the last two years, they've both been run on good good tracks, a good three and a good four, and the tempo has just been unsustainable. Uh, the first year, he went way too hard. He did an enormous job to run fourth. Then last year, a lot was made of the tactics on Eduardo, where he just cooked himself out in front. Nature Strip was a byproduct of that. But I think on a soft track, it just means they can't go too crazy in front um, and he'll get some kind of control. I also love the draw for him. I know people out there are saying, how can he win from barrier 10? Absolutely perfect. I think especially with Eduardo drawn in seven, just gives James McDonald the chance to cruise across in his own time, sit on his shoulder and that's how he won his TJ uh, only back in April. So a carbon copy of that is the horse to beat. All right. I'll ask Hayden first and then you, Brad. Can Eduardo win? Can Eduardo well, I can't win? I any reason why not. <laughs> what about the 1,100 metres, Hayden? Oh, the 1,200 metres, I should say. I keep defying uh, logic. Like, he was a horse who was in the wilderness when he left Melbourne. He always shown early that he was a Group 1, group one talent. Um, yep. He's rating numbers and that were through the roof. And then he went, uh, he was in the wilderness. This stable's just got him up and they've got him flying. It seems, um, you know, the Everest last year might've come a year too early for him. Um, you know, I can't see why not. Um, I, he won't be in my numbers, but I, you know, he's the sort of this year, I would have given you a thousand one for him last year. Uh, this year I've got him firmly in the mix. Yeah, I think he's another one. The wet track plays into his hands, doesn't it? Because we know he gets through it. He'll just keep powering. He has to run a race. He's going to be there somewhere in the finish. I'm just worried about him that last 100 metres. And I think you've only got to look back to the TJ of a very similar setup. Uh, he nutted Nature Strip over 1,100 metres. Then he went to 1,200 metres in the TJ, and there wasn't really an excuse for him. He still ran great. There was a gap back to fourth, uh, and he ran a crack of a race, and TJ ran some big and uh, Nature Strip ran some big figures in that TJ. But I just couldn't find an excuse for him there. So... Until I see him do it, 
over 1,200 metres at this elite level. I can't be in his corner, but I know that Joe Pride, if he watches this, will be gritting his teeth because I don't think he, he buys into the 1,200-metre hurdle. All right. G. Trail, I backed him last year. I mean, he probably didn't get everything go his way. I don't think he would have beaten Classique Legend anyway, but I like his prep, this prep. He hasn't come fully wound up. He obviously had you know, a really good fitness base going first up, but I feel like there's room for improvement and they've given him that gap between runs and second up here. Is he one at around $8, Brad, that um, you know, could be a cheeky, cheeky in the finish? Yeah, I think he can be. Um, I think he can be, especially from barrier one, because we'll see how this track plays. If it does chop out on the inside, that may be some disadvantage. Maybe it gives him the chance to cut the corner, but I think it also plays to the strengths of Jason Collett who we know is one of the best ambush jockeys in the country, if not the world, uh, just getting that suck run up the fence, wait, 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 and then pounce late. Um, I think he is some kind of player. I think he's probably found his right price now. He was floating around that $11, $12 quote a couple of days ago, but I think $7, $8, uh, that's about him. Aiden, in a couple of words. Uh, he's that horse, he's a little bit like trekking, mate. He's that horse who I'm convinced, you know, I could take him on from a betting perspective, but I'm con- convinced he'll run somewhere between third and sixth, um, you know, and if they give him an option or they give him his opportunity, he's known as the giant killer. Good luck to the English boys. Um, I do agree, Jason Collett, outstanding rider under these circumstances. Um, Rail True, a little bit nervy for mine. I don't think it suits a horse like him, and I definitely don't want to be in those inside four lanes on the racetrack on the weekend. So um, interesting from that perspective for me. Okay. Smart ride. Brad, you've got to go to another level to win uh, an Everest. Can trekking go to another level? <laughs> I think it's a big call, isn't it? What is he, seven now? We've seen enough of him. I think the thing with trekking, if we just we just know his level. Uh, he's going to run a race. He's won third in the race. He's run third in the race. He's run fourth in the race. Uh, he's going to beat more runners home than beat him. I think he might be some kind of chance of running a hole. I did see eight, nine dollars around for a top three finish. That might be worth a little spec if you're looking something something at odds. But I'd be very, very surprised if he won. Yeah, it was a good return in the Moyer and the step up mm. to twelve hundred is going to suit. So um, ticks there and get off and took their time, didn't they? And you know, clearly they've gone with him over Paul Alley, so they they must be happy with how he's going. Mask Crusader, does he get too far back or can he put himself in a winning position? Oh, he didn't do enough last start, did he? That was Hayden, wasn't it? Can we just mm. put the warning up to Brad before he really puts the bullet into uh, Mask Crusader that just before he logged on, Neil Warrett logged off. So if he wants to, <laughs> if he wants to play a different card than what he may on Sky, that's more than uh, welcome to. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. Well, on that, I'd be curious to know what how you thought he went there last time, Hayden, because to the eye, he looked fantastic. But once you dug into the numbers, there wasn't a great deal of substance, was there? No, he. Um, they're pretty smart. You know, we talk about grand final trainers um, and everybody having something really ready to rock and roll on the day. I think there's a little bit of a fear between a lot of trainers leading in and from past Everest um, experiences that a lot of horses have run their Everest in the lead up. Um, mm. You know, we've had the big knockout numbers, the big market movers. These are the horses we want to be on. You know, I'll go back and have a look at horses like Santa Ana Lane and Charles when they, what they do that. I think they broke the track record um, in the shorts in the lead up. You know, there was all that excitement around all these runners. Um, Libertini's another one who's gone out and done something like that. So, 
you know, for me, it just looked like the perfect lead up and everything about him has, um, everything about him to me is just said, I'm the best sprinter in the land and I'm going to show you. I'm not overly impressed about the wet track. I would have loved dry ground for him um, in order to show that. But to me, he's looking, he's that runner who can take the top seed. The concerns obviously get to be, where does he get to in the run? Another thought process is, Brad, Tommy Berry, pretty brave sort of customer. If the rain really falls like what's expected and we do get a heavy eight sort of racetrack, is Tommy brave enough to have a crack at, you know, 16 to 20 off the fence and try and come down the middle? Oh, I'd love to see that. It was, he did that on Osborne Bulls, didn't he? I think he was the man. Yes. Yeah, that would be interesting. Um, he's just, he keeps missing the start, doesn't he? I know he, he can be a back marker, uh, but when you're racing against this company, it's very, very hard to give them eight lengths to anybody home and, and gun them down. I do concede that Team Hawks are one of the best in the business at picking their horses up for grand finals. And we saw that in the TJ with his cracking run behind Nature Strip that day. I guess he gets a, a relatively similar setup here. He strikes it fourth up, gets a sting out of the ground, similar company. Uh, and if Tommy's given the chance to, to duck and weave through this field, if these leaders happen to overcook it, yeah, he could be flooding home. But I just would have liked to have seen a little bit more for him last start. He beat Standout, he beat Embracer. Uh, but yeah, I think he could have done it a little bit more comfortably. That said, um, maybe he can go to that next level. I just think he has to probably improve four lengths. Can he do that? Yeah, I do think back to Ole Kirk in the Golden Rose last year, how he just exploded um, with the same camp. So you're right. He, mm. They are grand final um, trainers. And Neil Warrett tells us that the tab came knocking after his uh, TJ Smith run. So they locked him in then. So they have known a long way out that this would be his race for the prep. Um, Wild Ruler, winner of the Moyer Stakes. He's only had a dozen starts. It feels like he's been running and falling short of these horses for a while. And he, he, he has. But he's still only lightly raced. and probably career peak run last start. Can you guys make a case for him at $51? He's a difficult oh. one. Um, <laughs> Just so silence is deafening. Yeah, first section speed. He's um, he's already shown to me that he the first section speed that they're going to produce here, he's not going to like. Um, and if he gets, if they decide to ride him a little bit conservatively, he doesn't have the late straight line speed to compete with those around him. The classic legends, um, mass crusaders, trekkings, uh, that that type of runner. So I don't know where he gets to in the run. That's his little problem here. Is, um, and riding tactics with him will be um, interesting. Where do you think he gets to, Brad? Yeah, he looks the one who is the worst off as far as these barriers go, doesn't he? I think a lot of them have drawn quite well. I don't think there'd be too many perturbed. Even the Inferno drawn wide, he's going to drop out the back and it won't matter too much with him. I think Wild Ruler doesn't look well suited out there or well served. I've heard Peter Stoden say since that they're just going to come out aggressive and, and hope to slot in just behind this speed. And I guess when you've got horses like Eduardo and Nature Strip in there and the three-year-old Home Affairs is a naturally brilliant horse, there is potential for them to string out enough and maybe he does get in. Uh, but I've got him posted three wide and in a world of pain. So I don't think he's experienced this level of, level of pressure before in a race. Uh, and I do think he'll be found out, especially on a wet track. All right. We're joined by Racing New South Wales and Sky Racing analyst Brad Gray. The Inferno, uh, you mentioned him. He's drawn barrier 12, but he's been on an upward traje trajectory in his three starts here. 
I remember we had Zach Purton on the show back in December, Hayden, and Zach was meant to ride this horse um, at the Hong Kong Championships um, in the sprint. But, Brad, what do you make of him? Because you're right, he does get back, but he was an eye-catcher in the Moyer Stakes. Yeah, he was. I've noted that the past two times he's been to the races, they've been purposely very, very conservative on him, and it seems to have worked. He's been set a bit of a task in terms of, looping these fields uh, but that probably sets him up relatively well for a race like this uh, he's gonna obviously be, be smoking the pipe out the back and the fact that he's won out to the mile uh, probably suggests that he can run past a few late here because I think there's going to be a few reaching for the oxygen tank at the 300 at the 200 meter mark I don't think he'll be one of those now he's never done anything in his career to suggest that he could win an Everest uh, but I don't think he's the worst here Hayden yeah, I'm agreeing. I was quite negative towards this horse um, in his first couple of starts in Melbourne. When they started talking Everest, I honestly thought that they were dreaming. Uh, but he's just done a couple of little things in his last sort of run, maybe two runs that give me the indication that I've been a bit too negative. Um, he's definitely not a thousand metre horse. His peak profile sits is that 1,200 metres. So he's going to love finally getting to it here. Um, again, I don't think he's blessed by the conditions. That's making me want to take him on once again, which I did at the start. So I'm a question mark with how we'll go in the heavy track. If it was a dry track, I think he'd be storming home and he'd be dangerous. So he's another one. I'll take him on. If he wins, I don't. All right. I feel a little bit sorry for James Kennedy because he's had to pick up the scraps after a Rothfire's campaign ran out. Can anyone make a case for Embracer? Well, um, there's just that on um, in, in any statistical element you look at it, no. And then the one golden statistic of G Waterhouse sits next to its name and you think, okay, what if? Um, she's the only reason I could possibly make a case for him. He's similar profile to Wild Ruler where, you know, he's going to be that four lengths inferior to them. So that's my take on him, Brad. Yeah, I guess the same, isn't it? You do feel a little bit sorry uh, for, for James Kennedy. He tried to get a few. I know he got knocked back when he tried for on Trivier. He got knocked back for in the Congo. Pulele obviously was another horse in the mix and he's been left with Embrace. So I guess in, in Embrace's favour is the fact that he is in the form, best form of his career. Um, obviously, it's probably not good, going to be good enough to measure up in a race like this, but he can take up a spot. Uh, he's drawn to be handy. And the wetter this track is the more chance he is, because it just, as we've alluded to already, it, it takes away the brilliance of a couple of others. And if it turns into a bit of a slog, a bit of a war of attrition, maybe that's the way he runs his best race. Lost and running has been locked in for this race for a while, but I just don't think he's up to this class, guys. I'm in agreement with you with that one. Um, his first up performance in the shorts, he looked like he really struggled in the soft conditions. So, you know, he's a heavy track winner. He's ran well on soft tracks, but, you know, we do get taken by that. It's against far inferior opposition uh, under far more comfortable race conditions than what he'll get on the weekend. So, you know, that was his first exposure to the big boys um, and they blew him apart. Um, you know, I, my main concern with him um, as he failed to beat Rowan Browning during the week. So <laughs> it's going to be hard to turn that around in less than a week and win an Everest. <laughs> to, in Lost and Running's defence, and I didn't know this at the time either, but 
it was a it was a dummy. It wasn't actually lost and running. It was just a John O'Shea stable mate. So we'll have to get some mail as to, to what horse it was. But yeah, Rowan showed a nice gait, didn't he? I thought he might have been on the emergency list. But lost and running, um, yeah, I can't be with him either. It's been a tough initiation for him. Um, in his defence, he was knocking around in benchmark races last prep. Uh, he was winning well. Uh, and this was the campaign where we'd find out where he'd sit in the pecking order. First up, he was ordinary, but he did pull up lame. He was in the worst part of the track and he travelled deep. So you wanted to see him again. And although he was again trapped deep in the premiere, he's probably entitled to do a touch more. So although I think you can make excuses along the way, and I think he sets up to run the best race of his prep, that does coincide with the fact that this is his stiffest test to date. So I can't forecast enough improvement for him to be in the finish. And if, if you guys weren't getting rain and you, you had a firm track this weekend, I reckon Libertini first up would be worth a, a spec. She's, her best stats are all first up. We know, Hayden, that mares um, can improve as they get older. Um, so what is, does, the, uh, does the wet sort of really put a dampener on, on her, Brad? Yeah, it certainly does. Otherwise, she's a sneaky hope. In a race like this, I agree. Um, I was saying throughout the week that she is Goldilocks in that she needs everything just right. Um, that would be a dry track, fresh, a nice draw, speed on. But if she gets it, she's shown in the past that she's capable of mixing it with the best. We saw that in the premiere first up last year where she just blew them away. And you look at the time she's run over the Randwick 1200 metres on dry decks in the past, she's the only runner here that's broken 108 twice. Um, and she's got that in her arsenal. I didn't like the way that she trialed leading into this, uh, but subsequently was found to have a little lameness issue. So at least it does explain that, albeit it's not ideal having a little hiccup going into a race like this. I didn't know. Yeah, like the, the two things she didn't want going into an Everest, one was ear cup and the other's a wet track. So she's gone from like a red hot, um, you know, probably the best roughy in the race to a mm. uh, little bit in the wilderness. I think they had to run her first up, don't they? Because she's clearly proved so far in her career that she produces her best first up. So they've taken a punt, but I think they had to take that, that punt. Home affairs is the X factor. Last horse we haven't mentioned. He's $9. He's a three-year-old. I'm pretty sure he's only had the one run this prep, right? So um, mm. he beat Paul Alley in second up here. Um, I know Hayden's boisterous. Um, bossy on board. <laughs> Brad, home affairs. Can you make a case? Yeah, you can make a case just to down to the fact that we don't know how good he is. Um, he's the runner in the field, but it's very hard to get a, get a line on. He won the Heritage. Uh, he did it pretty easily too, didn't he? Beating Palaili, who's come out and won the, the Roman Consul since. Now, he showed really good speed there uh, and then stacked them up and sprinted home and, and ran a pretty good figure. So, does that season him up enough over 1,200 metres against the big boys now? I think when you look back to the yes, yes, yes profile, uh, I know people are drawing similarities there between the bossy, the wallow, the Coolmore, the three-year-old factor. He had that lovely grounding um, of a 1,400-metre run in what was a pretty deep crop of three-year-olds, people whacking exceedance with the horses around him. I think this year there's a bit more of a question mark in terms of the form around these three-year-olds, and he has to do it jumping from 1,100 metres to 1,200 metres. So I can't say no. I'm going to concede him half a chance, uh, but I want to see him do it. Hayden, I'm going to keep your powder dry um, because we've got another show tomorrow and you're going to want to (laughs) 
through Home Affairs. Brad, your top four. Um, for those who haven't seen um, your in-depth runner-by-runner guide on the Racing New South Wales website, um, tell us who your top four are in, in Saturday's Everest. Yeah, well, I haven't gone particularly wide. I've played a pretty straight bat, so don't expect too many surprises. So I've gone with Nature Strip on top, uh, and the market today is really starting to rally that way, and I, continue, I expect that support to continue. Easy, easy one to find. Um, everything is in his favour, and if he's ever going to win an Everest, I think it's going to be on Saturday from that wide draw. Classic Legend is the horse I am scared of, but as I touched on, he is... The horse that I just have to take on at $4. Like I think if you play a patient game, there might be a chance to chop out on him at maybe $6, $7. I expect him to, to really be quite soft late. If he isn't, I guess that's a vote of confidence that he is ready to go. The two others, Geetra, he can only run well. Uh, he sets up nicely and what you see is what you get uh, with the Giant Killer and Eduardo. Um, although I see him vulnerable over the 1,200 metres, I think he can run a race. I also concede knockout chances to home affairs and Mars Crusader. Uh, but outside of that, I think you can probably play around those six in terms of your multiples because a lot of people are saying you can make a case for all 12. I don't think so. I think there's only maybe three and a half chances. Okay, mate, we appreciate your time today. All the best. I assume you're able to uh, get out on course. So um, enjoy that, mate. We're, uh, we're going to be a bit jealous, but um, hopefully <laughs> hopefully you've, uh, you can get the chocolates there with Nature Strip. Thanks for your time today. Yeah, fingers crossed, guys. Now I've got to try and get myself a haircut. It might be easier to find the uh, the winner of the Everest than the, that he's getting a haircut at the moment. I'll tell you what, I went to a couple of barbers yesterday and the line was about 15 deep. Anyway, wish me luck. Good luck, mate. Thanks for your time. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks guys. All right, feel free to um, uh, jump out there, Brad. Hayden and I will wrap up the show. Hayden, I thought that was um, you know, pretty good insight into the Everest. Um, it is the race that catches the next gen. Um, what did you make of today's show and how excited are you for this race on Saturday? I think it's brilliant, mate. The rain, um, excuse the pun, but the rain does put a dampener on it for me. Um, this is a this is vastly different to the Caulfield Cup where if we get some rain, I think it only makes it, you know, possibly makes it a little bit more interesting. Um, but when we're talking about the fastest horses in Australia, we want to see fast. Um, you know, if there's one day where I could just put in a little request um, to those up above and say, could we possibly have a firm two? Um, this would be the day you want to see. You know, when you think Everest, mate, you think track record, don't you? It feels like the day we go out and we break the Randwick track record. Um, so for me, it's disappointing. And it's disappointing that um, year after year, it feels like we're at the essence of the weather um, with this race. All the others, I can cop it. Um, but this one, a little bit disappointing that that's the way it's going to unfold, but so be it, mate. Mate, we're going to chat tomorrow. Um, I can say Matt Hill is on the show tomorrow. He's promised me he's coming on. He's going to help us preview Caulfield Cup Day. Uh, we've got a couple of tricks up our sleeve, but I won't go early on them. But really looking forward to our Thursday preview show with Matt Hill tomorrow ahead of the Caulfield Cup. Look forward to it, mate. And um, I'll speak to you then. Thanks, mate. Catch up. Bye, Matt.